listening to the Back Row Rewind, a condensed show featuring just the main segments of the week's Back Row morning shows. Rise and shine, nerds. You're tuned in to the Back Row Morning Show, proudly a part of the Love Thy Nerd Podcast Podcast Network. (laughs) I'm Radio Matt. (laughs) And I'm Mo. We are caffeine-fueled and ready to talk your ears off. I'm not sure I have enough caffeine. (laughs) I don't think you do. Maybe it's too much. (laughs) Maybe too much. This week on the show, we're taking a look at the four classic sitcoms that are fueling the streaming wars. It's a new day. Yes, it is. We're gonna get you guys circulating on Christian radio. I understand young people. I know what's hip. I know what's on. I know what's lit. I know what's fleet. What's up, my nerd? Nerds! I work with a bunch of nerds. I'm a nerd. And uh pretty proud of it. So we're going to move into our main topic for the week by starting with a a kickoff discussion with our Discord, but not the way that we normally do it. We don't have people in the chat, but we have a lot of responses from the people in our Discord uh, about uh, the topic today. Let me explain what we're going to be discussing. Sitcoms, specifically the sitcoms that streaming services have been using as a base layer to keep fans subscribed. The big four streaming services all have one, one long-running classic series that have millions of fans who love to keep the show running on repeat. And today, we're going to talk today, we're going to talk about the most well-known uh, for their streaming run, having been uh, first, a big draw for Netflix. Oh, gosh, I got the hiccups. And now, Better, super powering game. I was about to say. And they're gone. And now doing a lot of heavy lifting for Peacock, we're talking about The Office. And here's the interesting thing. I chose this one to be the one where our Discord chimed in, because I know Mo doesn't like The Office. Mo's not a fan. And I, I'm aware that The Office is wildly popular. And so I'm like, let's go to Discord. Let's see what people think. And boy, was I surprised at some of these responses. So let me read to you a few responses. Just general thoughts about The Office is what I was asking for. Okay. Brother Mon says, I tried to get in the show more times than I can count, and it always fell flat for me. Mm-hmm. I was left staring at the screen unmoved while the rest of my friends howled with laughter. I have enjoyed clips of the show, particularly Jim's pranks, but I've never actually laughed at any of them. Shrug. Oriel Jedi says, I don't think I'll be able to join as, oh, uh, I've tried to watch The Office twice, and I just can't really get into it. I don't really see the hype of the show. People have said that it gets better after the first season, but I can't push myself to continue watching it. Misfire says, I could never enjoy it because it was too painfully close to accurate uh, to the office culture I've worked in and had to deal with. Uh... Lark says, I haven't managed to get through more than a few episodes. Thray says, I love the idea of it. And clips always have me laughing, but full episodes never quite landed. So much secondhand embarrassment, but not going to lie. Jim and Pam uh, pining hits the feels. Thank you, YouTube clips and best bit videos. Uh, At this point, I responded, I am finding these responses fascinating. (laughs) (laughs) And Brother Mod said, dun, 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 plot twist. There are no Office fans here. Uh, Let's see. 
brother mod added this show was the thing to watch when i had roommates they had people from our development come over every night it aired to watch invited people from their churches i wanted badly to like it and enjoy it with them uh but here we have ky redhead who said, we love The Office for the most part. Uh, Charlie and I are swapped Pam and Jim, and it's really fascinating and cringy to see how their relationship developed without Jesus or the positive influences we've benefited from. So it's like watching how they would have been had they not been believers. Got it. You know, kind of thing. Uh, also, Dwight is what is who I could have been without any of the above. <laughs> and then I think she was adding something else. She said, maybe we enjoy it because we don't have relationship or work woes that are represented on the show. Same reason I can't watch Gilmore Girls. Personal experience as a daughter sours me. Ooh, okay. I can see that. Well, let's talk about it. Uh, so oddly, like I said here, I'm in the minority. Uh, but the rest of the world largely agrees with me, just so you're aware. Uh, as Netflix was building its service, it leaned heavily on popular classic sitcoms, including Friends, but most notably The Office. When NBC announced that in 2021, The Office would move to their own streaming service, Netflix users were upset. It was estimated that almost 10% of U.S. subscribers canceled their subscription after The Office left, which is about $935 million in annual income that Netflix lost. Dang. Many claiming that The Office is literally the only thing that they watched on the service. Now, they were able to make some of that up during the pandemic because people were stuck at home. Like, okay, I guess we'll get Netflix again. Peacock got a huge boost from adding The Office and even rewarded the fandom with completely reworked episodes with alternate and deleted scenes added back, in, added back in, making it a new experience. They called these super fan episodes. They've done the first five seasons in this way already, and they're planning to do all nine. And uh, they know what they're doing because if you watch The Office, office on peacock and let it play all the way through the series and you get to that final episode the next autoplay episode that comes up which is usually like a different show or a movie or something that's kind of related mm -hmm. is super fan episode season one and then you play through all the super fan episodes and you get to the last episode of that and it starts auto-playing normal The Office season one, just an endless loop on and on of the two different versions of The Office. <laughs> so you could literally just have it playing forever. And Peacock doesn't get down with any of that crap of, you know, if you've been watching five hours, it's like, are you still there? Hit yes to keep playing. It'll just play forever. <laughs> I'm glad that that is a positive for you, whereas for me, like, if I'm falling asleep to something. Yeah. And it doesn't automatically shut off. Then the next night, I have to go back and be like, yeah, "Where did go I search stop? the episode?" Yeah, <laughs> whatever. So love it or hate it, the Office uh, Three Makers asking if I've tasted tested this, and I absolutely have. Uh, so love it or hate it, the Office has touched a chord with society. So today we're going to take a look at how the Office changed the game. Okay, and that's kind of what we're doing with all of the shows this week, looking how it changed sitcom TV. Okay. So number. One, one, no more three camera, no more laugh track. So most sitcoms are set like on yeah. stages, almost uh -huh. like plays, kind of. You have right. a studio audience in the background and you have 
three cameras, all different angles in the same room, trying to catch the different shots. Mm -hmm. With uh, The Office, they focus more heavily on single camera, like one camera moving around with the scene. And so it would move to whoever's talking or it would be like the steady cam where they're giving the interviews and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Um, and then, of course, no more laugh track. Most sitcoms, even up to the start of The Office, had laugh tracks mm-hmm. to kind of cue the audience on when to laugh. One of the the most chilling things I think I've ever watched, the most kind of cringe inducing things I've ever watched is on YouTube. There's a bunch of clips from The Big Bang Theory. Without where they've the taken laugh the laugh track out. Yep. And it is so depressing and uncomfortable. Because it's not funny. Right. <laughs> and <laughs> when you, you don't have tracks. somebody telling you to laugh at something and you realize yeah. it's not funny, then yeah, it, it, right. it's depressing. Laugh tracks, <laughs> laugh tracks convince you that what you're hearing is funny. And it's based on, it's similar to like the movie theater. If you go to a movie theater and you're the only one in the theater or there's very few of you in there, you're not likely going to laugh out loud because it's kind of uncomfortable. You don't feel you don't really do that on your own either. My like, kids and I did that hardcore when we good. watched Super that's Pets good. the other night. <laughs> but when when there's a whole crowd of people, yeah. boo, you get into it. Everyone's yeah. laughing out loud. It's hilarious. Um, so that's kind of the experience they're going for. They're like, well, if we have people already laughing, people are going to be like, ah, that is funny. Yeah. <laughs> but they have overused it to the point where it's like, now we're just trying to convince you it's funny. But it's, even not. it's not. Yeah. Um, now this is, The Office is by far not the first to do either of these things, but it was one of the more popular shows to have those two things going for it. Mm. Next, the rise of mockumentary TV. So this fake documentary style uh, television show, I'm still not sure if they were the first one, but they are the most popular. Now, of course, this was based off the original office from the UK, um, which was had a shorter run because it's British television and they give you closure. But uh, it was one of the reasons, oh, we'll get to that in the next one. Uh, but anyway, mockumentary, fake documentary television was kind of unheard of, uh, and if it existed before The Office, it wasn't very popular. But then it gave rise to shows like Parks and Recreation and Mm -hmm. Modern Family, two also very popular, long-running television shows. The weird mockumentary style is just fun. It's a fun Mm -hmm. gimmick. Yeah. Um, I can't think of any more. And I'm not sure if there's I any shows there are. running. Are there? I know that there are. I just can't think of them. Are there any running right now, or has that has that been like a fad that has now passed? Oh no, I don't think there's. I any don't watch right TV now. anymore. It kind of yeah. makes me really sad. <laughs> All right, number three ways the the third way the Office changed the game, embracing cringe comedy. Ugh. Okay, there are. At least two or three episodes that a lot of people, even hardcore Office fans, have to skip because it is, while funny, so painful. The cringe aspect is so painful. And that's the whole first season (laughs) for me. Yes. Okay. So that's what I was going to say. The first season of The Office tried to copy essentially the same aesthetics of the same feel as the British version. The British version is like that the entire way through. Yeah. They only have two short seasons and a Christmas special, but like all of those are just mm, 
Yeah. A little rough. Just your whole body's clenching just a little bit every yeah. now and then. And so the office here in America tried to do the exact same thing, but American audiences typically aren't really looking for that. And so they had to retool it for season two, and by season three, they had it nailed down um, with the, the new feel for it. But you still had a lot of cringe-worthy moments. Uh, they just didn't do it like for the whole episode, except for these occasional ones. The one that I, the one that I can't stand is Scott's Tots. Now, Scott's Tots is an episode where we find out that Michael Scott, ten years ago, thought that in ten years' time he'd be a billionaire, and so ten years ago he promised an entire second grade class that he would pay for their college. Mm. And in that whole 10 years' time, he keeps thinking, it's going to happen. I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to get there. I'm going to make it happen. And then it has been 10 years. And they're all going to be going to college. And he and they all have, like, shirts. And they've been doing, sending him letters and doing all the, you know, they've been a thing. The Scott's Tots thing has been a big deal for these kids. And we've never heard about it until now. And he has to go and say, I don't have any money. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And then he's like, but you can't go to college without laptops. And he pulls out a, a suitcase and you think for a second, oh, you got them he all got laptops. And you can't have laptops without batteries. And he brought lithium, lithium batteries for laptops. Wow. So it's just so painful of an episode because you just, just for me like, that's how oh, the entire show is. The man. whole stinking show is painful. Uh, I can't, and it's because of Michael Scott. <laughs> the whole thing. I like Jim and Pam. I even yeah. like Dwight. Mm -hmm. I like most of the characters. But Michael but Scott. Michael Scott. I just can't. I love it. I love it. I can't. <laughs> All right. The next thing that The Office did to change uh, sitcom culture was investing in digital content. They were one of the earlier adopters of like webisodes from the show. And they created several different like mini series for online only, uh, usually utilizing the, the secondary characters, the side characters, and giving them like a full story online, which is really cool. But the number one thing that The Office did, which Mo, you might not think this is a good yeah, thing. Yeah, 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 whatever, whatever. Is it saved TV from going exclusively reality TV? This was this was the the you know the early two thousands was the height. Yeah, that's when reality TV was really taking off. It is super inexpensive to make compared to sitcoms. And you can get so much content out of it because a lot of these reality shows are like recording people twenty four hours a day. Like this, this is. Cheap, quick, easy, and most people loved it. And so every network was changing all of their um, primetime viewing shows to reality shows, be they competitions, like singing competitions, American Idol or whatever, Survivor, Big Brother, all uh, cooking competitions, you know, Hell's Kitchen, mm -hmm. MasterChef. Mm -hmm. All those were coming out and becoming the primetime shows on the networks. And The Office was one of the few TV shows that were able to claw out 
a portion of the nighttime, you know, the primetime slots and say, no, we're still here. We can still make really good, worthwhile comedy that's worth investing in. Mm -hmm. And I remember that that paved the way for all of Thursday night on NBC again to be comedies. And it was The Office, Parks and Rec, My Name is Earl and Community. Mm -hmm. And that was my favorite two hours for like four years. <clears throat> and none of them had laugh tracks. Two of them were mockumentary style. Uh, all of them were very kind of different shows compared to what we're used to seeing in sitcoms. Mm -hmm. Like it, it, it gave us faith in yeah. sitcom TV again. Well, and I will say like, I love reality television, mm -hmm. but there is something to be said about a good sitcom that mm -hmm. you can just kind of get lost in and, and, not really have to be super invested in the characters and kind of can skip an episode and pick right back up. And, but that's not the office. <laughs> Here's what I have to say. I love cringe comedy because I know that it's fake. When I get cringiness from reality TV shows, I'm like, this is actual humanity on trial, and I hate it. Okay, and here's the flip to that. Like, people watch sitcoms and find themselves in the characters. Like, that's why you mm. get so invested in the mm -hmm. show is because you find yourself or you find someone who you love and care about in one of the characters. And for me, having a character like Michael Scott drives me bananas. <laughs> the thought that my boys could watch this show and be like, I am totally Michael Scott because there's a lot of, a lot of Michael Scott in, in both of my children. I do not ever, ever, ever want for my kids to aspire to be like him. Yeah. Just yeah, for, no. for everybody on Twitter. You're holding it close my, to my your Dundee. microphone and my not Dundee to the camera. <laughs> the Dundies. How can I explain it? Earned that award for winning an office trivia contest so here at Blackwater Coffee. You earned an award. <laughs> We're going to talk about the other sitcom that was doing heavy lifting for Netflix for years before it was acquired by another streaming service. It's HBO Max's Friends. Hmm. Now, of the four series we're spotlighting, spotlighting this week, this is the one that I'm least familiar with. I have seen the whole series, but only once through. Beyond that, it's just been random episodes here and there. But, Mo, you hate this show, right? Absolutely. It's the worst <laughs> show that has ever aired on television, ever. Not. Don't let them hear you say that, even joking. Not. It's my favorite show of all time. I watch it every single night as I go to bed. Every night. Every night. Every night. <laughs> to this day. Turn the TV on, put on HBO Max, pick a random episode of a random season to start, and I just fall asleep. Is that the only friends. reason you have HBO Max? Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> it is. And what is really sad is we have yeah, the you entire... own all the DVDs, right? Yeah. But it's so inconvenient now to set up a DVD player in every room. But, <laughs> well, and I, I only watch it at night as I'm going to sleep. It's not as if mm. I, you know, I wish when, when we were first married, um, one of the, one of our wedding gifts was like a home theater system that had the five disc oh, yeah, yeah, DVD yeah. player. I wish we still had that because that made 
nighttime viewing super easy because we'd just pop in five discs and it would just rotate through all five as yeah anyway that'd be most of a season a you could get through there yeah yeah or a whole season a right? whole season seasons are at least four four sometimes yeah. five the if office it had, had like a bonus. The office, stuff. the office had a five disc season, and it wasn't just bonus stuff. Like it was an extended season. They had like twenty seven or twenty eight episodes in that yeah. one season. I will say, watching it on DVD is far better than watching it on any sort of streaming. Or what is that? Because you actually get the content that was removed and clipped for like um, timing purposes on television. You. At, it has all of that in there. Like, there's whole pieces of conversation. They that... don't put those back in for the streaming services? Nope. Oh. Nope. I'm feeling like that's only Friends. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I, I There's no I, other. I know, I know for all the series that I've had and owned the DVDs for, the streaming versions have been pretty much identical. Yeah. Um, with the exception of, like, the occasional someone in this episode said something that Today is too racist to be on a TV show, so we can't air that show at all anymore. For whatever reason, with Friends, they air like on on you can stream whatever was aired on television, not what was made. That's real weird. DVD. That's real, real weird. Well, uh, KY Redhead says I can't stand Friends anymore. We watched in college and loved it, but. I love Mo. <laughs> or love. Mo. I love you too, Hillary. Which kind of made it sound like sarcastic. I but love, I love Mo. <laughs> <laughs> Let's take a look at how Friends changed sitcom TV. All right. All right. Number one, Friends was really the rise of the friendship-based sitcom over the family or workplace-based sitcom. Yeah. Uh, and this paved the way for shows like How I Met Your Mother, mm-hmm. New Girl, Community, Big Bang Theory. Which, again, love it or hate it, it was a popular show that ran for 10 seasons. See, and I'm of the <laughs> mindset that How I Met Your Mother is just It really friends is. It's really just remade. like this generation's friends. It's yeah. like, it, it, as if Ross was telling his own story, yeah. his perspective, because, yeah, he would be, well, oh man, what's his name? I just had a brain fart. What's his name? What's his name? Who? Bob Saget's character. What's his name? Oh. Um, Ted. Ted. Ted Mosby. Yeah. Yeah, Ross and Ted are the same person. Have you met Ted? Yeah. (laughs) I love How I Met Your Mother. I do like How I Met Your Mother. Far more than Friends. uh, (laughs) Not far more, but I do like, yeah. Yeah, it's a fun, it's a very fun show. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, this, this wasn't very common, and certainly, though probably not the first, again, none of these I don't think were the first to do all these things, but they were the first to do them spectacularly. Right. And so they're known for it. So yeah. Friends really paved the way for a new kind of sitcom. Yeah. Uh, friend groups uh, being made up of both men and women yeah. was also not a common thing on TV. It's usually... If you're you're in a group of friends on TV, you have your guys all together, you have your wives all together. That's kind of how it went. Yeah. It wasn't a situation where any guy, girl, combination of any of the two of the six could hang out and it'd still feel normal. Right. And there would rarely be any kind of like romantic stuff going on. Like there was romance, there was stuff in there, but for the most part of the show... They were really just all friends. They yeah. could just I all mean, be friends. They all kissed each other at least once sure. in the show. Every single one of them. <laughs> um, but still, for the most part. 
I mean, yeah, there was there was romance with each one. Sure. Except Monica and Ross, Except but that's Monica because they're brother and sister. So you know that be strange. <laughs> but I mean, all of them. But yeah, it definitely leaned more towards friendship than right. romance. Right. That was more of like a side story to the overarching fact that they For were the all most six part, friends. Yeah. Uh, aside from the underlying thing that laid from Ross the beginning of Roger and Rachel all the yeah. way to the end. Yeah. Uh, number three, fast paced plot lines. Now a lot of, a lot of, you know, I'm thinking like full house and family matters and even fresh Prince. Most of them had very slow moving 22 minute shows. They had, two stories usually going on. They had an A story and a B story, but they only usually followed one or two characters in a show. Since there were six people on Friends that were the main characters, you had to account for all six of them and not nearly every single show, which yeah. meant that even if there's still, I think there's still typically only an A story and a B story, but they always involved all six at some point. At some point, And so yep. you had to move those stories along. Yeah. And so it went for more fast-paced storytelling. And that's something that has also now been seen in, you know, more shows moving forward. Mm -hmm. Larger casts, fast-paced storytelling, still entertaining. Uh-huh. Um, but it makes you feel like you get so much more story. Right. <laughs> in it's fast-paced, but it's also easy to follow. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. You don't get lost in all of it. Right. They did it really well. Yeah. All right. Friends also... Walked the line really carefully and skilled between cheesy humor and dark reality. Mm -hmm. It is a masterclass in many ways for how to have humor in spite of tough situations because there was humor in the shows, even focused on situations like divorce, death of family members, suicide, cheating, uh, being abandoned by parents, being fired, unplanned pregnancies, tension with parents, infertility, all of these real world, real tough, real scary issues, they were still able to find humor, not in a way that mocked those situations, right. but in a way that made you kind of feel more camaraderie uh -huh. with the people going Connected through those with things, them. especially if that's something that you've gone through. Yeah. yeah. And it's also a good reminder as to kind of how to handle a lot of those, mm -hmm. those tough situations in life. One of my favorite episodes, and I have a, I, I don't think I've ever actually said this out loud. So thanks for giving me a place to say it. But one of my favorite episodes is when Ross and Monica's Nana passes away and they just, they had this really closeness with their Nana. She, it's the house that, or the apartment that Monica lives in. Mm -hmm. Um, so as Nana passes away, first of all, there's one scene in it where they think that she's gone. They're in the hospital. They think she's taken her last breaths, right? They come out to tell their mom, Judy. And then as they go back in, her eyes open and have, she has like one of those um, muscle reactions that a lot of people have as they are passing, yeah. you know, where Monica and Ross both just kind of freak out for half a second. Like, wait, what happened? Is she not dead? Is she still alive? What's going on? Okay. But then also 
They are in Nana's bedroom, and they're trying to pick out, after she has, in fact, passed away, they're trying to pick out her outfit to wear in her casket. Um, And they reach up to try and find a pair of shoes that Judy thinks is reasonable. And as Ross hits a box, um, like a shoebox from the top of the closet, a whole other shoebox falls down of just sweet and low packets. And there was this whole story about how whenever they see sweet and low, they're going to think of Nana because she always had sweet and low packets in her purse. And so this whole shoebox of just sweet and low is like raining from the top of the closet, essentially onto all of them. And it was just one of those like moments of, yes, this is tragic. And yes, this is incredibly uh, devastating that we've lost someone who, who means so much to us. But there's this simple reminder of her every time that we see these sweet and low packets, even the ones that are raining down on our head from the top of her closet, as we're trying to find a pair of shoes that our mother sees fit to put her in the ground in (laughs) That entire episode is just one of my favorites just because of the way that they handle death and they handle death with someone who is incredibly close to them with with humor and, you know, an honest, realistic look in a tough situation. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. That's it was a good episode for sure. That's mm-hmm. one one that I do remember, one standout that I do remember pretty clearly. Yeah. So the last one that I have here and it's it's just labeled Pottery Barn. Yeah. And <laughs> the reason why this is so um significant as things that that uh friends change for television is that up until this this one episode where uh, who was it? It was Rachel it's bought it. Phoebe, Phoebe and Rachel. Phoebe and Rachel. They're living together. Phoebe is 100% against Pottery Barn. Right. And so Rachel buys at a Pottery Barn, but says she got it at a thrift store at or a, something a like that. At a flea market. Flea market? Yeah. yeah. All right. From the, the, the f- times of yore. The fact that they <laughs> talked about Pottery Barn so much in this episode, it gave Pottery Barn a significant boost in sales. Uh, for a long time after that episode aired, simply for the word of mouth, simply for you know people that didn't know what Pottery Barn was and never been in it, right? And now they kind of knew. That's where that Pottery Barn craze started. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, KY okay, just asked that. Friends is what started the Pottery Barn craze in yeah. the '90s, and the reason why that was so significant is because up until this point. Most like product placement, quote unquote, kind of stuff only really happened in kids' shows because it was like advertising toys or food yeah, or all this kind of yeah. stuff. You would see, you know, Coke cans and whatever in movies but and even stuff like that. It had to be like. No, no, no. I mean, in movies and stuff. In TV shows, yeah, they blur oh. them out because they don't want to. It's, it's, a, it's a fine line. Like sometimes Coke will like. Pepsi or whatever will pay a movie company, hey, let us be the only soda featured in your movie. But then on TV shows, you're like, no, you want to use name brands. You need to pay us kind of thing. And that's why there's Let's Potato Chips in nearly every sitcom uh, because it's a fake brand (laughs) that they can continue to use. Anyway, um, Pottery Barn got such a big boost from that, that this kind of became a thing that happened in a lot of sitcoms moving forward, but they're usually pretty subtle about it. It's usually just, it's like a part of the story. We mention the thing, but we're never like there, right? you know, and it's not like we're just heralding it as this big thing. Community 
went the other direction with it and just went over the top every time they had one of these kind of product placement type things that are a part of the episode. They had Subway buy the college and turn it into a Subway sandwich university. They had an episode about a, a very persuasive kind of sneaky guerrilla marketing salesman guy who fell in love with Britta who only existed to sell Honda SUVs and Honda cars. And that was the whole episode about how they could still be together and he could, if they both, you know, worked for Honda and he had the, the CEO or whatever, you know, talking to them and say, y'all are a perfect salesman team, you know, kind of thing. Like they leaned heavily into it. They had a, they were going to start um, an astronaut, um, like a space exploration training class or whatever. Mm -hmm. And they had the KFC's uh, finger licking good space system, <laughs> old ship RV thing. They really did go <laughs> like over they the top. Went, they went nuts with it. And they, and they knew that, I mean, they, they wanted it to be, you know, over the top, but like that kind of stuff uh, more subtly, Subway's been in like Chuck. Do you remember Chuck with uh, Zachary Levi? He was like a accidental super spy kind of guy. No. Okay. Well, it was it was really good. But anyway, Subway was in that all the time. Like it was never. Well, some a couple of times it was over the top, but for the most part, it wasn't. It's was just like oh, the boss is eating a Subway sandwich, and it's just very well presented. Right there, it's like mm, takes a bite of it, and that's the whole thing. But it really paved the way for getting businesses in shows. And I don't know if that's a good thing or not. Sometimes it is. It's really just how it how it is played out and how it's written into the show. I really actually loved the over-the-top community versions. Um, but yeah, that's one of the ways to change it. I'm not really saying that it changed it for the better, but <laughs> that is one of the ways that Friends change TV. I uh, find it funny because that episode is kind of one of those episodes that's like, I feel like every season of every television show has that one episode that just doesn't really fit in. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense that it's there. Mm -hmm. You know, it just had, it was a filler episode to get them to however many episodes they needed for right. that season. And I feel like with Potter, with the Pottery Barn episode, that was that. That was that one for yeah. that season? Mm -hmm. I get you. Yeah. All right. Well, let's see here. Brother Mod said, Apple paid a considerable amount for Marvel to not have a villain ever use an iPhone. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's the kind of stuff that we deal with now. My goodness. We're going to talk about the current sitcom that is doing heavy lifting for Netflix. The show about nothing. Seinfeld. Seinfeld is a classic change-up to the sitcom formula. Are you a fan, Mo? Um, of Seinfeld? I don't, I don't think I would say I'm a fan. Okay. But I don't hate it. Okay. Um... I, when Seinfeld first came out, I was more of a Mad About You fan. Mad About You was good. It was that was my favorite Mad about you was show. Really good. They, I, like, is it anywhere on TV? Yeah, yeah, it's streaming somewhere. I've watched it I, in the last few years. I, I may have to go find it. And, Might be Hulu and start know. watching it again um, because that was between the two. Mad About You won all day every day. I enjoyed Seinfeld. There's there's episodes that I think are funny, but eh. <laughs> Mad About You was a really good It was a really good family comedy because it was different from the other family comedies cuz there were no kids. Yeah. 
it was just adults yep. that were married and trying to be a family. Yep. And yeah, that was interesting. But anyway, I get it. I understand. Yeah. They even had a little bit of a crossover, uh -huh. right? Yeah. Because his old apartment was actually Kramer's apartment or yes. something like that. Yeah. That was funny. And then they had a crossover, of course, with Friends. Yeah. With Phoebe's sister, Ursula. Uh-huh. And then we they brought that character into Friends. I yep. thought that was brilliant, too. I know. Loved it. Yep. Loved it. But anyway, we're talking about Seinfeld. <laughs> uh, <laughs> let's take a look at how Seinfeld changed TV. So there's a lot to talk about here. First of all, Seinfeld abandoned the moral at the end of the story kind of sitcom. Yeah. It allowed comedy to just exist in a vacuum. One of the key things that they set out to do at the beginning was make sure that none of the four characters ever learned a lesson. Yeah. They didn't want these characters to grow. They didn't want them to become better people. They wanted them to just have their experiences and then just be. continue on. Yeah. <laughs> Yep. And you can see that. It was harder to see maybe when it was originally airing and you're watching one a week, you know, for nine years. Mm -hmm. But like if you sit down and just binge watch all these things, you're like, man, does he not remember what happened two years ago? Right. <laughs> like, no, he doesn't. He doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> or he thinks it'll be change. It'll change this time. It'll be different. It was it was the quintessential uh, the quintessential do the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result, yeah. but never getting that different result. Insanity kind of character. <laughs> um, but I do, I do like that. Uh, well, you know, while I'm, I'm fine with moral at the end of the story kind of shows. You know, where you're like, well, I guess I've learned that. Blah blah blah. You know, that's fine. And we got that with Family Matters. We got that with Fresh Prince. We got that with uh, Full, House. Full House. We got that with Sister Sister and Growing Pains. Growing Pains, Boy Meets World. Yeah. All of all those of shows. Them. Plenty of them, all fantastic shows for the most part. Hanging with Mr. Cooper. Hanging with Mr. Cooper. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Home yes. Home Improvement. Home Improvement for the win. Step by step. I got to watch oh my me gosh. some home improvement. Okay. Man, that's a good show. We'll just all go right. back to our Anyway, childhood. all of those were really good. All yeah. those were moral at the end of the story shows. Yeah. Not taken away from any of that. But there was something really fun about just abandoning that for just straight up wacky comedy. Yeah. And not having to worry about learning a lesson. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I can agree with that. Uh, the second thing is it also abandoned the big issues. There was rarely an episode that focused on anything heavy. It was all about sweating the small stuff. Mm -hmm. It was about parking spaces. It was about the little things that you didn't like about the person you were dating that ruined the entire relationship. Airing it was, your grievances. Yeah, airing your grievances. <laughs> Festivus. Uh -huh. It was... It was um, no soup for you. <laughs> it was cereal. It was orange. I, one, of yeah. the, one of the things that I remember, one of my favorite stupid scenes, like this is the dumbest thing to have an argument about, but that was the whole point, was Elaine wanted some orange juice. She pulls an individual orange juice thing out of Jerry's thing, takes a sip, goes, this is awful. And Jerry says, well, did you shake it? Like, I'm sick of shaking things. <laughs> And he goes over and picks it up and just starts shaking it very gently. He goes, oh, yeah, this is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> and like, that was a big plot point of the show. That's ridiculous. It sweat the small stuff. And it made it hilarious. It's all the little things that we nitpick complain about. And yeah. we got to hear that on TV. You're like, I've complained about that. I'm sick of shaking things. Yeah. Why do you got to shake everything? Can't they make it pre-shaked? 
Yeah, so it's funny. I was but doing see, it. There are where the lessons are. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess. Um, so that was fun. Number three, they were uh, one of the most popular meta shows. Now, meta as a concept in shows was not uberly common because it was confusing. <laughs> but it's the show that was self-aware. There was even a long arc of them pitching a show about nothing to NBC called Jerry, mm-hmm. starring Jerry and a whole different set of actors that were very similar to the actual actors that played the friends in Seinfeld. It was very weird, very surreal. This is one of the earliest meta comedies where they 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 know what the, they know what they're doing. They're winking at the audience. They're breaking the fourth wall without breaking the fourth wall without looking at the camera. Mm. Like it's like we know this is a show about nothing, and we know that this sounds stupid. <laughs> and then it gets canceled, yeah. which Seinfeld almost did, which we'll talk about here in a minute. But like it's it was one of the first self aware comedies that winked at the audience like that. Yeah. And so it paved the way for things like community. Community is just nonstop meta nonsense, 30 rock family guy, things that are self-aware shows that are self-aware and not at the, the audience a lot within that. Yeah. Number four, it proved that it can take a while for a show to hit its stride. There are so many promising sitcoms that get canceled after their first season with networks not giving them a chance to work out the kinks, and it makes me really sad. One of them stars a Friends alum, and it's one of my... Of, there's I have like a dozen or so shows that only had one season, and I have that season because I bought them in like big lots or whatever when we didn't yeah. have a lot of money. And most of them, yeah, I can see. Blah. But there was one show starring Matthew Perry mm. called Go On. Mm-hmm. Did you ever see this? Mm-hmm. Yes. I loved it. Uh, it was okay. No, um, look, I, uh, look, I understand it wasn't perfect, but it was a great start. Better than The Office, better than Seinfeld. First seasons. Yeah. Like, as a first season with the cast of characters it had, it could have gone real far. And they gave it an entire season. They didn't even cut it off early, but then they're like, nah. We had um, Grandfathered, which was uh, had John Stamos in it, playing like a grandfather, but he was like too young to be a grandfather kind of feeling. It was like him... Figuring out that, yeah, okay, he's not young anymore. It was hilarious. Yeah. There was a show with, um, at the same time, with oh, the guy in Parks and Rec, the healthy guy. The healthy guy? The fit, oh, fitness guy. Ben, no, the fitness no. guy. The other guy, not oh, Ben. His, cr- his name's Chris. Chris. Chris Traeger, that guy. Yeah. So what's his real name? I don't know. You remember? Mm-mm. Anyway, that guy, he got a new show, had a whole season. It was really hilarious, and they canceled that. I dislike that they don't give shows time to work out the kinks and become good. And I think it should be proven with The Office and with Seinfeld that this is something worth trying with most shows. Because The Office should be proof enough that shows deserve to get a second chance because The Office bombed in season one. And season two was wishy-washy. It didn't really hit its stride until season three. Seinfeld 
didn't even get was like on the verge of cancellation for the first three years. It didn't take off in popularity until season four, which is a lot of episodes to get through yeah, and three solid years to get through. But they kept it on there and kept giving it a chance. And then it hit season four. And now it is one of the most iconic TV shows of all time because they gave it time to work out all the issues and become something amazing. Yeah. And so it, I think this proves we should give it a shot. Brother Maude here says, uh, New Girl's first season was super shaky, too. It definitely was. But the New Girl became one of the most popular shows. I love New Girl. New Girl's hilarious. Yeah. Hilarious. Um, lastly, last way the Seinfeld changed TV uh, on our list here is the rise of the female comedy lead. Yes. So before this, there were female leads in sitcoms, but in most cases, they played the straight man of the ensemble, Golden Girls notwithstanding, because right. they were all women. Right. Elaine Bennis brought the woman out of the love interest role, which she had in like those first five episodes yeah. of the first season, brought her out of that role and made her as slapstick, as offensive, as satirical, and as hilarious as any of the three men. Yeah. Uh, she, like, she often got made fun of. She often was the butt of the joke, just as much as the other guys were. They didn't like put her on a pedestal, right. but they also didn't lower her beneath uh -huh. the, the men either. Like, she was co-equal in presentation yeah. of the show, and it paved the way for other comedy leads like Liz Lemon in Thirty Rock, Jessica Day in New Girl, Kimmy Schmidt in. Kimmy Schmidt, <laughs> unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Yeah, like it was a it was a big deal. It was a big deal, and so that's that's kind of what we've always wanted, right? I, yeah. I mean, you can speak to this better than I can, but we've kind of always wanted not not women put on a pedestal over the men and not women beneath the men. We wanted equal for them to be seen as yeah, equally as funny. Talented, right? I if there is a t a television character that I feel like one I want to be most like, and two that I do kind of feel like I'm most like, it is Elaine. I do kind of have. She doesn't have like girl friends, you know. She's more of a yeah. a, a guy's girl. Mm -hmm. Has a you know this group of dudes that she just typically hangs around with, but she can hang with them. She yeah. doesn't have to be like, uh, babied, and, right. you know, like they don't have to soften themselves around her for Handler the sake kid, of her kid gloves. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, and that I, I, but exactly. She's hilarious. She is just as hilarious as the guys are mm -hmm. serves her own, right. Has her own way, you know, just, very much one of the comedians, just like George Kramer and Jerry. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I like to think that that is me. <laughs> sort of. You also can't dance. So. Hey, I actually can <laughs> dance. Thank you very much. Uh, I got rhythm and funk. <laughs> <laughs> you got rhythm and blues. Whatever rhythm you think you have gives the rest of us the blues. Uh, <laughs> 
Mott said now Julia Louis-Dreyfus is Val in Marvel, and the old adage is if you live long enough to see yourself become the villain is proven yet again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can't wait to see what they're really going to do with her. Like, we've seen her a little bit in Falcon and the Winter Soldier and the tail end of Black Widow, and I think that's it. But, like... I'm pretty sure she's recruiting the Thunderbolts. Is that the story? And Thunderbolts is supposed to be the last movie, I think, of Phase 5. I don't know. But it's going to be good. I'm excited. I will tell you, I think my favorite thing about Seinfeld is that it really drives home the idea that you can take four very different people. Mm -hmm. You know, when you're in high school, when you're in elementary school, middle school, your friend group, you all pretty much look the same. Yeah. You know, you look the same, wear the same clothes, like the same things. And the second that you come to find out that there's a difference, then that friend is like, oh, we're not friends anymore. I can't play with you anymore. You know, but once you're an adult, you kind of realize how silly and juvenile that is. And I can remember watching Seinfeld as a preteen and a teenager and kind of having that realization of these four people are very different. Mm -hmm. They would not be friends if they were in middle school or high school because they are so vastly very different. It just kind of drove home the idea for me that when you're an adult, friendship is about so much more than your likes and your dislikes and how you look. Mm -hmm. And it's just about getting along with people who are different than you. I, that's my favorite thing because (laughs) like Kramer, George, Jerry, yeah. They're all very different, yeah. Super, three incredibly different men that (laughs) are, yeah, I don't, there's (laughs) like no similarity there. They shouldn't be friends. You know what I mean? Yeah. But they are. Mm -hmm. Anyway, that's my favorite thing about Seinfeld. And uh, they also did embrace cringe comedy a little bit, like early, early aspects of cringe comedy. One of my favorite things is the fact that they did not give the show a happy ending. The final episode of Seinfeld was a big event. It was like the biggest event since the final episode of MASH. Like people were ready for it. And they were like, and they're like, you, you, we have, we're not going to tell you how long the episode's going to be. Just the start time. Come mm-hmm. enjoy. And it was like an hour and a half long. It's 90 minutes. And the whole episode and spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it, but it's been so many long years. Right. The whole episode is just how terrible of people they are, how they are visiting another, I think it's another state uh, that has a good Samaritan law, and they watch this guy get robbed in the street, and they're, they happen to be filming him because they're on like a vacation, one of them has a camera, and they're filming it, and they're just making commentary, oh, you hate to see that, oh, poor guy. Uh, you know, that kind of thing. And they're making snide comments about him being overweight or whatever. And then he goes on and they get arrested and put on trial because they didn't intervene in any way or call the police or do anything. They just sat there and watched and videotaped it. And so they brought in all these classic characters that have been slighted by these four in the nine years previous and just put them all on the stand and tell them how horrible they were. And then they end up all going to jail. <laughs> 
that's how the show ends. And I remember people were livid about it. I thought it was hilarious. I, I don't remember it. You don't remember that? I, people were livid. That's how it ended. And it ended like the very last scene, I'm pretty sure, was Jerry Seinfeld giving a stand-up set in prison. Like, it was ridiculous. Way a ridiculous way to end a show, but it was the perfect way, in my opinion, to end that kind of show. That kind of show was a show about four people who never learned their lesson. And this show, that episode, just showed how over the nine years, they certainly didn't. And now they have to pay for it <laughs> and go to jail for two years or whatever it was. Very odd. Very, very odd. I loved it. We're going to talk about the surprising launch day series for Disney+, Plus, which is simultaneously one of the oldest of the four, and yet the only one that is still going with no end in sight. The Simpsons. Really? The Simpsons has been going for 30-plus years now. It started oh in gosh. 1989. Christmas of 1989 was the first episode. Isn't Homer dead by now? <laughs> now, a lot of us think that it jumped the shark in season nine, and we could have ended it there. But it is popular enough still to keep going, uh, so there are certainly people watching. Have you ever been a fan, Mo, of The Simpsons? No. No? Oh, that's sad. Simpsons was my jam. I wasn't allowed to watch it, and then by the time that I I left my house, then I was like, all right, rebellion. I was like, this is dumb. Okay, my mom did me a favor. By the time time we were adults, it was no longer edgy. Like, this this wasn't edgy anymore. There was Family Guy, there was South Park, there were all those other things going on at that point. But I also hated all of those, too, so... Kid Biggins says, hot take, Simpsons are no longer funny. That's not a real hot take. Like I said, most of us think it peaked at season eight, could have ended by then, and we could have been good. Um, But it has been such a long-running show that obviously it has changed TV in many ways and many times over the years. So we're going to take a look at... uh, a few of those ways, a little more than the last uh, three. We have a few more. So number Great. one, <laughs> this was the, the the sitcom, the family sitcom, where satire became the main focus. So family, politics, workplace, school, every aspect of the normal life was looked through through a satirical lens. Yeah. And this was often mistaken for the show promoting bad behavior. Uh, famously, President George Bush Sr. said... You know, we want America's families to be more like the Waltons and less like Mm -hmm. the Simpsons. And that started like a funny little feud between the Simpsons and the Bushes. And then they even made George Bush a character on one of the episodes called Two Bad Neighbors, where it was Homer versus (laughs) George Bush in this prank war back and forth. Uh, It was great. It was a great episode. (laughs) That's one of my favorites. Sorry, I can't weigh in. Sorry. Oh, they uh, super glued a rainbow afro to George Bush's head, and he had to go like give this speech at the super pack or something, and he had it like cut, like a normal haircut, but it was still rainbow. And so he's wrapping up a speech. He says, "So does anyone have any questions?" And everybody raises their hands and goes, "Keeping in mind that I already explained about my hair." And then all the hands go back down. (laughs) Oh, so good. Anyway, next up, massively, 
they had a massive, massive supporting cast with uh, large backstories uh, that are often explored pretty deeply in some episodes that are focused exclusively or almost exclusively on those characters. In so many sitcoms, the cast remains mostly small. Friends was a large cast for a live action TV show. Right. Okay. Side characters are often barely seen or utilized. Many side characters, while popular, might only be seen a handful of times each season, and usually just for a scene or two. Like, they're not a part of the main story. It's rare that they're a part of the main story. If you're lucky, you'll get a real kind of full backstory behind a side character, but that's still pretty rare, pretty few and far between. And this makes sense for real-life shows, because... Those are actors. Those right. are different people that you're having to pay for all their time. While with cartoons, especially with The Simpsons, 30 different characters are all voiced by the same person. Yeah. You know, it's you're not having to pay a whole different person um, or anything of that nature. And so they use this to their advantage where they just had so many side characters and they just kept adding side characters, and they became regulars, and they would show up all the time. But you would always have a robust side cast, robust secondary cast. Uh, Mo, Apu, Barney, Millhouse, Ned Flanders, on and on and on. All these characters were often in many, many of the episodes, if not all of the episodes for the season. Uh, all the different kids, you know, and many times you would follow their storyline. Like with Ned Flanders, Ned Flanders, the, the religious neighbor to Homer Simpson, throughout the entire run of the show, at least one episode every season or so, or at least an average of that, focuses on his life. And we have seen his uh, the change of his uh, profession from accountant or whatever to opening a left-handed store a store for just stuff with left-handed people, to seeing his wife uh, die, to having him deal with mourning that loss and Marge finding dies. new love. Homer, no, not Homer. That's, that's Homer's wife. Ned's wife died. Oh, 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 sorry. <laughs> I was like, wait, hold to, up. To seeing him remarry, to only lose that uh wife again because the character the the lady who voiced the character actually passed away. You're getting life. so many spoilers right. to people. But who I mean that we've seen this season. huge huge story arcs for Ned. We know so much about Ned. That's true. And he's not the main character. Yeah. <laughs> but I can tell you a whole tragic story of his life. Um <sighs> Oh, Gabigan says, I really like the episode where they find out that Homer is super smart. He just shoved a, shoved a crayon up his nose as a kid, and it kept him dumb. <laughs> That's true. That's one of the episodes. And he, when they take it out, he's really smart, but people don't like him, and he's not connecting with his kids as much, so he shoves the crayon back up in his head for his kid's sake. <laughs> it's really weird. It sounds very heroic. <laughs> Um, number three, bringing adult animation to the mainstream. So there had been adult themed animation before this. We had like Beavis and Butthead, uh, technically Ren and Stimpy <laughs> was supposed to be an adult thing, but they somehow started putting it with all the kids shows. Uh, Ren and Stimpy is not a kid show guys. And it never should have, never should have been watched when we were little what? kids. Ren and Stimpy. Would never be given a Y7 now. Never. I mean, <laughs> it's because kids these days are soft. 
They're all snowflakes. They have to be handled with care. <laughs> oh, little cupcakes. So fragile. I said a snowflake. Uh, I was doing something else. Oh, my I'm, bad. I'm not. Okay. <laughs> can I not give my own allegories? I don't treat cupcakes. Gracious. With care. <laughs> I destroy them and then eat them. But anyway, uh, <laughs> technically, I guess the, the Flintstones was the first, like, uh, primetime show that a lot of adults watched, but it was still made for kids. It did have aspects for adults, like most good cartoons do, but it wasn't really an adult-themed cartoon. It didn't deal with adult issues in the way that, like, The Simpsons and things do. And so this kind of paved the way for shows like Family Guy, American Dad, King of the Hill, which I love, Bob's Burgers, which I love... You ever watch Bob's Burgers? No, it's so good. King of the Hill, I really. King of the Hell is really good. I, yeah, King of the Hell. I really did like King of the Hill a lot. What? Bobby. I probably only liked King of the Hill so much though because like that is the people I grew up with. <laughs> Those are my relatives. Those are my. It was based loosely off of my family. I'll tell you what, man. Going down that burning thing, first thing you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the next thing the Simpsons uh, changed about TV was the floating timeline. Yeah. How can the Simpsons go on for thirty plus years? Because the characters never get any older. It's not real. <laughs> they should all be. The only one who ages is. Ned's wives. That's <laughs> true. Wants to age. That's it. Uh, all right. And uh, let's see. Next up, pop culture comedy. So, so much of the comedy from this show was based on other pieces of pop culture, often in quick bursts of parody or a nod to something more universal used for extra laughs. So there was always like some sort of movie parody thing, and they would change over time. The Fat Tony character, which is like the mob boss character mm-hmm. in the show, you know, originally was kind of more associated with the Godfather. And then later on, he was more associated with the Sopranos. You know, it, it changed with the times while still staying true to the original character in the show. Yeah. So there would always just kind of be this nod to whatever's popular in the world at that time. And right. that's fun. It's a fun thing. It's a fun thing that not a lot of sitcoms do. Uh, let's see. Last up. Treating the audience as if they are smart. The Simpsons, for all its silly jokes and silly humor, is actually a pretty smart show. It doesn't dumb down their jokes unless that itself is a part of the joke. Despite the goofball antics, it has a lot of smart humor to it. They choose to avoid a laugh track, which we've talked about before, but that was very uncommon, especially in the late 80s, early 90s, to allow the audience to laugh without giving them cues. It is now more common to see shows without laugh tracks and new shows that feature them often struggle to find footing because they feel outdated. And this was a very early adopter of that format of no laugh track. Like we talked about, it was a big deal for The Office, but like The Simpsons did that in the 90s, in 1989, when they first launched. Like, we're going to be funny, we're going to make jokes, and you're going to laugh at it, and we're not going to tell you when to laugh. And that's exactly what happened. People Mm. found it hilarious, and they didn't have to have that cue to do it. Mm -hmm. So, the other thing that they've done, and I didn't put this on the list, but they've overstayed their welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Hashtag... 
Facts. Now, like I, you know, I said, you know, they could have ended in season eight, and they could have, and it would have been a great run, and everyone would still love it. But my goodness, it's it's hard to watch today's Simpsons. And like I said, there's got to be an audience for it because it's still so popular. Mm-hmm. But I got to believe that that audience is younger people now. It is because I watch the show, and it feels like now. It's become such a meta comedy that all the references that they make are just references to older seasons of The Simpsons, not to pop culture and current things now. And are you already having an allergy attack? Yeah, What's going on over there? I am. I'm having an allergy attack. My <laughs> eyes are really, really itchy. <laughs> You're just really emotional over The Simpsons. I'm so I don't emotional. want it to end. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, Simpsons, look, they just came out with an article saying that they've already been greenlit, I think, through season 34, and it still might keep going, and I think they're making another movie. They did finally make a movie. That was something that they that took forever. But uh, they only have the one, right? they only have the one. And that came out in, like, 2005. Uh, yeah, it was around there. Yeah, it was. It was uh, yeah, because Topher was, a, was a baby. Yeah, it was a good movie. I liked it. Yeah. <laughs> I am wearing a Homer Simpson shirt. The people on Twitch have noticed that. Woohoo! Can't get him in there. There's his head. You can see his head. But uh, yeah, this is my favorite shirt. He also has a sign above him that says "Dope." But I thought, like, when I bought that sign for him, it was because it was like Homer dope. says "Dope." Yeah. Uh huh. So you thought it said "Dope"? Yeah. <laughs> Because it like it looks like the Simpsons kind of like font and coloring and everything. It gives me Simpsons vibes. I've the, never thought about that, but it kind of does. The first time that I saw it, I was like, "Oh, the Simpsons! It, it's perfect!" And then I was like, "Wait, but it says dope." <laughs> Look, here's here's the wonder about the Simpsons. Okay, I wear this shirt. It's got yeah, let's show it. Homer Simpson going woohoo. That's all it is. It says woohoo on the top. Anytime, every time I wear this out in public, like at a store, mall, anywhere else. Soccer game. 100% of the time, at least one person says, hey, that's a cool shirt. I've gotten more compliments on this shirt than anything I've ever accomplished in my life. <laughs> Just wearing this shirt has gotten me more love from strangers so than anything I've purposefully done. And it is very sad. We... <laughs> but people love The Simpsons and they love this shirt. That is super sad. <laughs> I don't get like with other shows. I'll wear, you know, I'll wear like Green Lantern shirt or I'll wear Batman shirt or Star Wars. Where they're like, you like Star Wars? What do you think of this? Blah 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 blah. I don't get that with this. I'm like, you like The Simpsons? What do you think of this? I got cool shirt, dude. Your shirt is awesome. That's what I get. That's all I get. No commentary on the show. They're just like, that's awesome. And I'm like, I don't know why. One day you need to be like. You know, people keep telling me that. Can you? Ex- what is? <laughs> Why this do you from? like this? I don't know where this is from. Yeah. I've never seen I whatever just, this I, is. Somebody um, gave me this shirt for a gift. I have no idea. But I'm really bummed I didn't buy like four of them when I first bought this because you can't buy it anymore, and it's getting to the you point. Can't. It's gonna fall apart soon, and I'm just like, man. 
Of course you can't buy it anymore so well. because even Walmart knows that <laughs> Simpsons. Walmart. Get out of here. Get out of here. I buy all my clothes at Walmart. What are you talking about? <laughs> That's all for this discussion on the sitcoms that are keeping the four of the top four of the top streaming services afloat. That's going to do it for the Back Row Morning Show this week. We air our diet. <laughs> we are daily morning shows exclusively on LTN Radio. Thanks. We air our daily morning shows exclusively on LTN Radio, LTNonair.com, every Monday through Thursday at 8 a.m. Eastern with an encore at 10 a.m. But if you miss a day or just can't catch the show live, you can find the weekly podcast every Thursday afternoon by searching the Backroom Morning Show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all the podcast apps. We'd also love a good review and five stars. And I know... A lot of y'all haven't done it, because we aren't getting any new reviews going on. So, you know, if you're feeling a little heavy weight of guilt for listening to our show for so long and not having given us a review, maybe, maybe... Check out lovethynerd.com. It is positively jam-packed with articles, podcasts, and videos that cover a wide range of nerdy topics. And just like any ministry, we are largely supported by those willing to partner with us financially. That's right. I'm actively working to make LTN my full-time job, but in order to do that, I need people who will join my partner team. I have a handful of awesome folks already who help support me in this ministry, and I'm extremely grateful and honored for all of them. And if you would like to join these amazing people, then please visit lovethynerd.com slash Radio Matt, or you can reach out to me directly. Love Thy Nerd is a qualifying 501c3 nonprofit organization, and your gift is tax deductible. Follow us on all the socials at the Back Row LTN, and if you really want to get into the show, even literally, join us at backrowdiscord.com and watch along when we record on twitch.tv slash LTN on air. Once again, I'm Radio Matt. And I'm Mo. And if nobody else tells you, we promise it's true. Jesus, Jesus loves, loves you, nerd. nerd. The Back Row Morning Show is proudly a part of the Love Thy Nerd Podcast Network. The show is hosted and produced by Matt Coker and Megan Oaks. The show is edited by Matt Coker. Discord buds participate in the show through backrowdiscord.com. For more episodes, visit lovethynerd.com slash backrow.